0: Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic, body-based practices with so many real-life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to BarryTesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir.
1: Today, I have the honor of talking with Sonia Brewer. And I'm going to read her official bio and then welcome her. So Sonia Brewer, M.A., is a body-centered psychotherapist and relationship expert in Albany, California, where she specializes in helping women, couples, and partners of all sorts create extraordinary relationships. She loves helping people feel more alive, connected, and authentic in their lives and relationships while also bringing their gifts to the world. Sonia brings a wide breadth of experience, including in-depth training in somatic psychology at the California Institute for Integral Studies, training in relational psychotherapy at the Women's Therapy Center, and extensive training in trauma recovery through generative somatics and additional training through somatic experiencing and sensory motor psychotherapy. Sonia's work is also deeply influenced by training and experience in body work, dance, and mindfulness meditation, as well as over 15 years of study and exploration in the realm of sacred sexuality. She's taught workshops on embodied living and sacred sexuality and appears in the film Hearts Cracked Open, Tantra for Women Who Love Women by Betsy Kellen. To learn more, you can visit her website at com, which is S-O-N-Y-A-B-R-E-W-E-R.com. And she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome, <laughs> Sonia. I am so happy you're here.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Barry. I'm happy to be here.
1: Hmm. So <clears throat> I love your background. We share so much. I That's right. Have so much you know, respect for the work that you do. Before we dive into more of your personal stories about money, I always like to begin with a snapshot of your family life and work life right now, and anything that you want to start us off with before we dive into more of your money stories.
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, as you mentioned, I have a private practice here in the San Francisco, San Francisco Bay Area, and I share a life with my partner, Tijana. Um We actually just... Bought a home a few years ago, and was sort of just kind of reveling in in our life together right now. Um, so I spent a, a lot of I spend a lot of time focused on building my practice in the last few years, and I'm finally getting to kind of reap the benefits of that, and you know and pursue some other things in my life, including uh, doing some uh, community service as a member of a, a board of a small nonprofit um, called the Women's Therapy Center in Berkeley.
1: Mm, wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I've had the honor of meeting you, and not Tishana live, but her and I have connected behind the scenes, via mm. e- email before and and in an interview from a year ago so i've i have heard fun stories from both of you that that i hope you'll share today so let's dive in to some of your money stories Absolutely. and cuz i know you've you you know as well let, let's start here too you know as a therapist did you receive training around the theme and topics of money, ah. and, <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, oh. that's clear, and so, uh-huh. you know, at what point did you decide, I have to do my own work, or we trained on every other topic, you know, I know how it goes, I have a master's too, in, uh, in totally. and therapy, right? and so right. we train, and we study, and we research every single topic, except for money. So, when Absolutely. did you realize that that it was such a missing piece for you, and when did you Absolutely. start on your own money journey and that's a huge question in itself and then and then do you how do you even bring this work now to your clients
2: oh yes, so the first thing I'll say is luckily i I did have a sense that I needed to be engaging around my money i've been i mean really since my twenties like in some sort of conversation about. Um, how to navigate my finances and how to understand how to do that for a really long time. And when I first started, you know, I was just sort of reading some of the standard stuff, Susie Orman and, you know, some of the more traditional um, people. And I always had this feeling like I couldn't quite, like something was wrong with me, but I couldn't figure out how to make all of those systems, you know, that people have, you know, there's all these standard rules, save 10% and, you know, spend only this percentage of your income on housing and, you know, all of those things. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't make it work. And so I would get started on some plan and inevitably feel like a failure and then just kind of revert back to the way I had been doing my money, which was not very consciously. Um, and then um, I, I actually – I discovered you when you were still uh teaching live workshops in in the Bay Area and I didn't take your class at the time but that notion of conscious bookkeeping really uh kind of stuck with me and I started looking for people who were talking about money in a in a way that felt more uh holistic, you know. So I started reading like Lynn Twist and um other folks that I felt like just were coming at it from a different angle. So, yeah, by the time I got to grad school, I I money was a pretty big part of a like a personal conversation that I was in, but there wasn't anything in my therapy training that was addressing that specifically. I mean, I remember when I was training at the Women's Therapy Center, there was one class on uh, kind of working with class issues in psychotherapy or examining okay. class issues in psychotherapy, which was great, you know, yeah. because we did talk about things like fee setting. and, uh, But, you know, it was like four weeks, and then it was over. <laughs> so, you know, when I got into my own private practice internship and had to really, you know, kind of rigorously engage clients about money, um, it really pushed me to a, a new level of engagement um not only about like how do i do that in therapy but also like am i what do i have to offer people <laughs> on this topic you know yeah. like am i o- yeah. doing enough of my own money work to be able to to guide other people and then i got divorced um in the middle of that training process and it, which sent me into a total financial spiral and um and then it became way more like of an emergency. It's like, okay. <laughs> we gotta lock this down. And I think that's when I did um it was still conscious bookkeeping then, um, uh your online course. And then again I did Art of Money a few years later.
1: Okay. Okay, we'll probably talk about what happened in that divorce if you're willing later in this mm-hmm. interview, um, mm-hmm. because it, you know, we all have challenges that we have to overcome, and it sounds like that was one of them. There may be others, but I, right. I first want to stay in some of what you're just sharing around. I, you know, I didn't get a class on on uh, a course or on class issues in psychotherapy. I didn't get that. That would have mm-hmm. been wonderful. Um, <laughs> yes. Can you can you share just a little bit more about you, you know what if it what you learned in that and how you had to set up your practice or the questions you were asking and I know they're different now than back then of who you right. wanted to serve how much should you charge can you share a little bit more about.
2: Yeah, what you sure.
1: Learned from that,
2: yeah. Right. Uh, well, there were, there were a few things, and some of it was from that class, and some of it was from just the general stance at the clinic um, that I was uh, working at at the time. The first Peace was that um money and fee setting and how people are thinking about and navigate their navigating their money is absolutely a part of the therapy, so you know we've been trained most of us to avoid money as a conversation or to treat it as separate you know, and we were really encouraged to see you know even if someone came in talking about how they didn't have enough money or you know or was you know didn't talk about money at all to really see all of that as as um, grist for the mill, so to speak, and to actively engage our clients in conversations about money so you know that clinic was a sliding scale clinic, and you know we were really encouraged in setting the fee to do that in person through a conversation or a series of conversations with a client and not just through some kind of um you know, blind, uh, you know, you make this much and thus your fee is this, you know, but right. really to, to be in the conversation. And that really has served me in my own uh, private practice um, because it feels, it, it just feels so crucial to make sure that money is um, a topic that can be in the room with us mm-hmm. and not, you know, kind of exiled. yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, exiled mm-hmm. for you as the space holder and the therapist. Exiled for that's them, right? right? Yeah. Um, This yeah. is this was pretty radical. I mean, and wonderful that mm-hmm. this was part of your training and that they had a sliding yeah. scale and they weren't mm-hmm. just saying, "Okay, have everyone submit their income or where they're mm-hmm. at, and then we decide." You know, because I remember going to women's clinics for health, and that that is kind of how they decided, and that's fine mm-hmm. too. But. But you were being taught to engage in conversations that are not comfortable, that you don't have a full Mm -hmm. training on, that you're still Mm -hmm. figuring out yourself, but to engage in the conversation and see where it goes, right? Because some people can say, I'm sure you have learned, some people say, I don't have any money, and they may have an inheritance, or they may have saved some money, but they don't want to spend it, You know, and they have Mm -hmm. such feelings around not wanting to spend it, so they say... They don't, or, you know, it's so relative what I don't have money or I don't have enough. Exactly. You know, I mean, sometimes it's literally true, you know, but many times there's a large spectrum of what that actually means. That's right. Was that uncomfortable for you? Did you learn so much from doing that?
2: No, it was actually kind of a relief. I mean, was it uncomfortable? Um, I'm sure in the in the way that, you know, talking about money with people you don't know necessarily or with people that you have, you know, who are, you know, sometimes in a vulnerable position, you know, um in relationship to you as a as an authority, the therapist. Um, but it was also a relief to have permission to open that door and um not just permission but encouragement um to open that door. And I learned a lot. And it's true. I had people who, it took me a while, but, you know, I had people who were, like, on the low end of the sliding scale. And then I found out, oh, you're not only from a wealthy background, but your parents are actually paying for your therapy. Or, um, you know, or, you know, someone identifies as low income because in their framework of how they think. They think of themselves as low income, but if we actually looked at their income, they'd be way in a different um, bracket than what any of us would have thought of as low income. So So, maybe Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. It was just mind-blowing to sort of learn about, you know, all of the ways that people relate to money. You know? um,
1: Yeah, they could. And then also... Oh, keep going. Keep going. I keep... Yeah, yeah.
2: No, no. It's... Right, well, also, and then to learn about myself and how I related to those stories, because that's, of course, also there, right? Like the moments where I'd go, oh, I've been duped. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then have to Mm -hmm. work that through on my side so that I could actually engage the client in a productive way that, you know, allowed for growth, you know. Um, And sometimes that meant also checking whatever was coming up in me, you know. Excellent. So, so let's
1: talk about these two sides, right? So the one side yeah. is just hearing their stories. And this person who says they're low income, it may very well be low income compared to what they were five years ago or 10 years ago or what they grew up with. Right. So in their worldview, it's low income, right? Right. Um, the, per- totally. right? the person who um, is, you know, who comes from a wealthy family and has the parents paying for their therapy, my God, they could have all sorts of feelings of guilt that their parents mm-hmm. are still paying for them. Um mm-hmm you know, feeling bad that they're Absolutely. not mature, and adult, whatever that means, we define that, but, you know, in that phase of their lives, and so they feel they don't want to use their parents' money because they're not making their own, or some people that's who come right. from wealthy families go through phases where they don't know how to make their own money, you know, and they've all sorts mm-hmm. of feelings on that, so those are, you know, that that's some of the stories that are being told, and then there's, as you were saying, you're part of it, and While you weren't trained as a therapist on how to work through your own money issues, you were trained on how to check in with your body and how to work with your feelings and sensations no matter what's coming up or what the topic is, right? So will you share a little bit more about that because that's really brilliant and that's scary and wonderful for therapists to do is, yeah, we're sitting with a person or with a couple who, you know, all sorts of things coming up, and sometimes we have our own – Thoughts, feelings, reactions that come up, you know
2: right, 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 and in fact, you know the the particular model of um psychotherapy that I was training in, not the somatic side but the relational side of that um really um encourages us to think of therapy as a two person enterprise, so we're, there's no objective neutral <laughs> blank faced party in the room, right we're human. And we impact each other. And so it's really crucial that we use all of our tools, and I'm lucky enough to have had that somatic training, to, um, to really look at not only our own, but what's triggered inside of us um, by whatever is happening with the client, but really to understand the therapeutic process as kind of a dance between you know, what's happening inside ourselves and what's happening with the client, you know. So it's all information and it's all useful. You know, I don't have to exile my own feelings, but I do have to work that edge. Um, So that's everything. That's the body check-ins. That's the, you know, breathing. That's the doing my own therapy, you know, if something's really sticking with me or I can't quite get a handle on it. And then, you know, making use of what arises in me to engage, Right. So, for example, a client who says um, they don't have their low income, and then, you know, but the story emerges that it's more complex, you know, I can work that through and I can actually use that, um, whatever that thing is in me that goes, hey, wait a minute, I can actually use that um, in a, a, a to engage the client in a real way, not paternalistically, not uh, condescendingly, but really like, hey, you know, like something real is happening here.
1: Hmm.
2: And we get to explore it together.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, 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 from a very simple place um, over the years, you know, I've had to work with people who made a lot more money than me, came from wealthier families, who made a lot less money, who came from, you know, um a lower income family you know, I I grew up in middle class in the middle somewhere and mm-hmm. and I've had to learn how to work with all of it, right? And it's it's been a challenge in moments and also so good. You know, I've wanted to learn how to work with people from all different backgrounds. Mm. Um have you noticed the same that um you're working with people from more money, less money, all the whole spectrum?
2: Oh absolutely. The whole yeah. spectrum. Yeah the whole spectrum Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the the whole spectrum of not just um, sort of how much money they have, but, of course, how they relate to that money. You know, there are people who uh, might be stereotypically um, identified as very low income but who are so um, um, dedicated to managing their money carefully that they um, – you know, they kind of blow me away with their um, clarity and their um, <laughs> discipline around, you know, paying for their services or, you know, honoring. I mean, I have clients now who actually ask me, oh, it's about the, it's time to raise the fee or isn't it that time of year to have that fee conversation because mm-hmm. I do a yearly mm-hmm. fee conversation with um, many of my clients. You know, and that's, that kind of blows my mind, but there's that end too.
1: Mm, beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. they're coming to you you've trained them well maybe that's not the right thing but not <laughs> not you've trained them well but you've you you've really created a safe space so that they could talk mm-hmm. about this taboo or this shadow that doesn't need to be and you you know you've put it in and you've right and now they're coming to you saying isn't it that time <laughs> i love it right that's yeah. wonderful that's wonderful so let's segue into some of or just more of your own personal money story. So Mm. what would you say are the main emotion or emotions that come up for you around money? And I'd love to hear five years ago or 20 years ago, it was a different set of emotions or different cocktail emotions. You know, when you think about money, what comes up, you know, what are the
2: main emotions
1: and themes that come up?
2: Yeah. Um, Well, First, I want to say I'm I'm in this interesting place. You actually just you had a blog post about this sort of changing money story, and mm-hmm. I actually in the last uh, year have been realizing that my um, the the feelings that come up have actually changed, and I haven't totally caught up <laughs> with yeah. that reality. So you know. Two years ago, I would have said um, shame, and I would have said anxiety. Um, I would have said hypervigilance, maybe. Uh, But actually, what's true now is that um, often I look at my money and I go, oh, there's enough. You know, like, it's a very new thing. Like, oh, and then I... I have this moment where I have to catch myself, like, "Oh, I don't actually even have to go into anxiety. It's okay. Like, I'm actually okay." Um, so I'm just learning that. It's like a, I don't even fully have all the feeling words to apply to it yet, <laughs> because I'm like, "Oh wow, this is different." It's it's different. It's changed,
1: and I didn't maybe even realize it or acknowledge it yet. I I love no. that that little blog post, you know about. Um, we can update our money story and our financial identity right. often, um, right. really often. you know. And sometimes I, I do it a few times a year, um, but we can even do it more often, once a month. I love that right. for you, um, you realize that you were still kind of playing with or living in or thinking that you're living in this old version um, right. of shame, anxiety, which is real, and hypervigilance. I remember you talking about that. Hypervigilance Absolutely. is one of your things, you know? Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> one of my things. Ah! Oh, God. One of your things. We all have things. You know, we all have our things. So, right. um, hypervigilance and anxiety and shame, and to start shifting into, oh, wait, there's there's enough. And right. You're actually calm or. What, what what else did you just say? What what else is going on now that's new yeah. and
2: different? Well, you know, I mean, it's really, it's kind of fascinating. Like sometimes I'll catch myself being a little avoidant and I'll realize it's because I have this whole history of looking at my money and not having enough. And so, you know, I have lots of years of like, you know, being a little avoidant and having to really gear up to whatever, pay my bills or you know, whatever the things are, open that piece of mail. And um, now I'm starting to go, oh, actually, if you, this is me talking to myself, Sonia, if you go and you look, you're going to be excited because you can actually pay that bill. <laughs> it's going to feel good. Just go do it. And it's a totally different um, orientation to have, like, oh, actually, this could feel good,
1: the feeling or image I got was there's been like this sl- sideway glance at it all like i don't
2: know totally. i don't know if i, wa- yes. I don't
1: know if i wanna look over i'm looking over my shoulder kind of yeah. and then there's other part of you going hey you know what actually there's been some big shifts we've been working on okay. this <laughs> you know and <laughs> there's been some real shifts and and a turn of you know a, a turn of a corner or a new new chapters happening yeah. and the money's actually there yeah now it's there, mm-hmm. and we can pay this bill, and we can celebrate yeah. that okay hmm. mm-hmm. so you are you have to catch up to
2: right that this new present
1: reality. way, this new reality mm-hmm. yeah? yeah, yeah, and
2: it's also you know because um the process of becoming licensed as a therapist and building a private practice you know from from start to finish, from starting grad school to getting the license for me was like nine years. Mm-hmm. It was a long time to be, yeah. <laughs> you know, training and getting getting ready to get ready, you know. Uh, so to be in this place now where, you know, I'm, I'm making more money than I ever made back in my corporate job and I'm being uh, and I feel some sense of agency around what's possible for me, um, it's just, it's a, it's a new yeah. psychological place to be because mm-hmm. I, I just mm-hmm. haven't been here before. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, you I mean, were making a lot of money at one point when you had that corporate job, but mm-hmm. it wasn't what you, it wasn't what you loved and it didn't have the level of agency. Yeah.
2: Right. And I couldn't decide like, okay, no, this year I'm going to double my income, you know, in that context. Right. Like, there wasn't really a vehicle to do that.
1: There was a ceiling um, and you couldn't break right. through that ceiling. Okay. That's right. hmm
2: Right. And now I don't really feel like there's a ceiling. I feel more like, oh, there's some new things I have to learn to get where I want to go, but I can see a path to get where I want to go, which is kind of cool.
1: Wonderful. So I do want to go a little further in the past, and then we'll move forward again, because I don't like to hang out Mm -hmm. too much in the past, but as a therapist, (laughs) we do that a little bit, right? We do that to some degree, um, and it is important. So if you're willing to share a bit of, you know, what you learned um, growing up as a kid
0: mm-hmm. from yeah.
1: mom, parents, grandparents, you know, what were some of the positive or negative money lessons, patterns that were being passed down?
2: To you? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt a so I felt so much confusion about money growing up. I mean, with my my parents were divorced and um with my mother we were really um uh, in my early childhood working class and then um transitioned to being really poor just like deeply like not always having enough food poor um and it wasn't even there was just this quality of like you just go without there wasn't even really a conversation about there was no sense of possibility or or no there was no sense of like there's a path to get where to get to that thing that you want, or you know it was just like persistent lack <laughs> you know so um i that was really when I talk about the hyper vigilance piece like that was really um in me like you know I'm just not sure that there's gonna be food, you know, and I gotta be on the lookout for where the next. Whatever it is that I need is, and then on my father's side, he had a little bit. He was a um, a performer, a dancer, um, and he had a little bit more of that um, starving artist thing going on, where there was sometimes there was money, and then sometimes there wasn't. Uh, and so with him, there was this this kind of magical quality, <laughs> like you know, there would be nothing, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're going out to eat, or where you know, there's like a new whatever uh television or mostly musical things he likes his music um but you know there was just sort of again it wasn't like i had a sense that there was a path it was just like money would sometimes appear um and then things would be great and then and then there would be no money and then things would be back to the the basics so i didn't really get um training you know like explicit training about money i got more just like this sense of uh, you don't know where the next good thing is going to come from okay. and, okay. you know, like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And yet mm-hmm. your dad really loved his work. So he did. Yeah. Is that true? So,
2: you know, the, I'm always
1: looking for it's the money, it's the work, job. You know, so mm-hmm. your dad did mm-hmm. work he loved. It just was – he mm-hmm. was in a pattern of the artist or – which doesn't always right. have to be that way, but, right, the pattern of the feast and famine – a bit. Right. Yeah. Did your mom do work that she loved? Or
2: no? No. Okay. No. She uh I think that she really what she really wanted was uh to be uh <laughs> I don't know how to talk about her. She no. She did not do work. She <laughs> mm-hmm. I think she really wanted to be a kept woman. Is is what okay. it what it kind of Th- looks like. And that's okay. Me, that's real. It's a different
1: generation. Right,
2: but yeah, but that was never totally her reality either. Okay, okay. So, yeah, she had a lot of ambivalence about Mm -hmm. things. About taking care of
1: herself, about making her own way, about who she was, her work, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's challenges, there's certainly challenges in that that you had to overcome
2: yeah i mean with my mother i mean i really stopped i I, uh asked my father to go live with him when i was 10 so i i just eventually disengaged her because she was so ambivalent and disconnected Uh, um and and i was like you know not always I i wasn't being taken care of so that feeling of just you know deep lack and uh was so a part of the picture with her. And with my father, um, you know, the sense I had was, you know, he cared about me and, you know, and he was pursuing this work that he loved. And we didn't always have everything we needed, but um, there was hope and there was love and there was art. um, And there was the joy of dancing, you know. So that just was a different kind of, that was a different kind of poverty. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So challenging things from each of them, and right, a few good things as well. You know,
2: right, right. Um,
1: so I know it, this is a big leap, but from that to where you are today, w- w- mm. what are what are some of the things that allowed you to get from what you grew up into? where you
2: are today yeah well you know one thing i'll say is because my father did have this hope thing going and this kind of always working towards you know what he loved i do feel like i was instilled with that like this sense of possibility and a sense that you can create your life and that has really carried me um in in times when it felt really bleak you know that you know it's really kind of up to me, you know I'm not at anybody's I'm not at the mercy of anyone or anything else, and you know I understand kind of politically and socially that that's not completely true, but I also have um, I have a sense of the ways that it is true and has been true for me, and you know when i um my father um supported me when I got a scholarship to go to boarding school and I um so I did high school in um at a, a fancy boarding school in the East Coast and I did a school year abroad in France and, and I got into Yale and um uh, did you know had that experience and you know my my father and also his mother my grandmother um even though there wasn't a ton of money they were very very supportive of those things so you know when I got the um accepted into the school year abroad program my father did like fundraiser to you know to raise the money to get me there you know so again we didn't have much but there was this sense of like but follow your dream go for it um and And
1: possibility and also he created a fundraiser for you he he concretely made that happen and that's right you know, had so much faith in you that I just got the chills. I had never heard that story, so yeah. your dad created a fundraiser for you, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. and it got me through that. Was year. that hard? You know? Was that
1: easy for you to <laughs> a- receive and accept, or was that hard? Was that e- No, you know? it was.
2: It was very easy in the sense that I think I just had been trained to. Um, again, to look for opportunities. And that just felt like part of, yeah, that's what you do. You want to get somewhere? Okay, we're going to do this thing. You know, and it wasn't like he just, you know, he, I was definitely on the road with, uh, you know, asking people and for donations or to buy tickets to this event that he was producing for me. You know, it was like, you know, this is what we do as a family. We get on it. <laughs> Make it happen. Yeah. 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 So, um so yeah, that's been uh, when I when I've hit the wall in my life as an adult, I just sort of like I just reorient, like okay, what needs to happen here, um, and what you know what are the steps, and I make a plan and then and I do it, um, and sometimes I've needed help in that, you know, um, and but I have a sense that we can get there, you know, I can get there if, you know, if I really work towards it.
1: So please share a story where you did have a big challenging money moment. could have been a few months. It could have been a year. And mm-hmm. when was that in your life, and how did you overcome that? Was it the divorce, or was there another moment?
2: Yeah, the divorce was huge, Um I mean, there have been lots of challenging money moments, but the divorce was huge because I was um, I was just in um, I had finished grad school, but I was in an internship where I was unpaid, and
0: that's uh, how they are, I, right? Right, they, yeah. and so I
2: I had no income, and my partner had been supporting us, and I suddenly, like, I'm in the middle of this thing. I suddenly. I'm needing to make a huge shift around, you know, how I make, how I support myself. Um, It was very rigorous, the training (laughs) process that I was in. Um, And it just felt like the whole bottom fell out of my life. Um, You know, like literally I was like, oh, I absolutely cannot pay this bill. And the choice point, you know, was like, do I go get another job and stop this training you know, because the kind of money I needed to earn, I wasn't going to earn. Even at a paid psychotherapy internship situation, yeah. I wasn't going to earn the kind of money that I really needed to earn to meet my obligations, and um, and yet I was so deep in the, the, uh, the process of training to be a therapist. It was a, um, you know, I felt so passionate about wanting to do that work. I really loved that I was finally um getting to learn how to do it. I had made the decision to go to grad school, you know, right when my um my mother died and I felt kind of like a spiritual call to step into my purpose and my calling, um, which is what really got me to commit to the path. And so I felt like in that moment when my partner and I were looking at um were actually had made the decision to divorce, I just felt like I'm either going to go back to the old way. I'm just going to find some corporate job and just slung it out, <laughs> even though it's not what I need to be doing and it's not what I feel called to do. Or I'm going to find a way to just put one foot in front of the other and keep going so that I can do what I, you know, what I've been dreaming, you know, of wanting to do, of doing, you know. And um, and so I made a, this choice actually to stay on the path even though I had no idea how how I was going to get through it. Um, And then part of that choice also involved choosing bankruptcy so that I could get out of some of the immediate um, uh, uh, difficulty that that I was in with some of my creditors um, and just making a plan over time to pay some of that down and you know, and just to keep going. You know, I moved into a you know a little studio. You know, I um, just led a very simple life, and I just kept going. Okay. And you know, now I can say, oh, it it was so worth it. I'm so glad I didn't interrupt my process um, because I'm in such a different place now. Um, but it was it was a really terrifying, terrifying moment
1: and was your corporate work do i remember was it in accounting or financial it was service? yeah
2: it was, it was in finance uh-huh, uh-huh. investment uh management uh-huh. consulting mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: so here you were at a juncture and mm-hmm. getting divorced and there's lots of money challenges right in mm-hmm. in a divorce mm-hmm. lots of money challenges and um, there's a cost sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you chose to deal with that, and you chose mm-hmm. to file bankruptcy. You chose to really downsize and simplify and move to a tiny little studio. And mm-hmm. you chose to continue bravely on your path of this larger goal and this larger calling of being a somatic psychotherapist. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. And how many years now since you started? I know how it took nine years for the whole training and graduate school and then licensure because you have to do so many hours in the field and so on, you know. Right. Um, And then, so how long has it been since you've been in private practice?
2: Right. So I started actually in private practice as an intern. um, Okay. So that was one of the things that helped because then I could start actually earning – Money instead of just working for free, so yeah. I did make that shift and um and then I got licensed actually um a few years ago now uh two thousand fifteen so um, i technically if you include the intern years, I've been in practice seven years now
1: okay okay
2: mm-hmm. so.
1: You're also on the other side of that bankruptcy too. Is it seven years right. that before your credit score completely changes again, and or all right? Well, gone? I'm
2: yeah? right. I'm just completing the bankruptcy, so I have more. Yeah. I have more time before it goes off my credit score okay. thing. But I am done with the process, <laughs> which is because I, I chose to do um, a structured payment plan instead of a. Um, Chapter got
1: it okay very different um, So yeah
2: they are very different paths they're
1: really different so you chose to pay a big chunk off yeah
2: right okay
1: right. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: do you want to just say a little bit about why you chose that when you were faced
2: with yeah.
1: those two choices yeah
2: yeah i you know at the time i think i just i mean really looking back at it um from a financial perspective it would have made more sense to file chapter seven but at the time I just felt so much um, shame and guilt that I was in that situation that I could not imagine not paying back Hmm. my debt and so um, I can't remember if the lawyer was like you know you could just do a chapter (laughs) seven or if I you know I'm guessing he probably said that but I think I was like you know, no, I'm going to pay my debt. <laughs> you know, I was okay. very like, "Ah, so you know i don't um, I don't regret that. I just know that it made my life a little bit harder mm-hmm. because I really had very limited income during the time that I was doing that, and you know it's a big deal to be paying paying down um a bankruptcy yeah,
1: yeah. but i
2: I am on the other side now, okay. and you know it is. It also feels good to to be complete with that process and to to have seen myself through it, like I got through that, you know yeah, yeah, and I know
1: that um you and Tijana bought a home together a few years yeah. ago, so I want to move into both the celebration you know of you Yay. of on the other side of all of that and committing to it and wanting to honor your past debt to you know and and using mm-hmm. that and now you're on the mm-hmm. other end of it and then a few years ago you guys bought a home together but before and I wanna celebrate that, but I also know that you too had your own challenges of you've your own you know, I never see two people who spend and save and give and loan money and invest in the same way. It just doesn't happen. Well, you know, even if we came <laughs> from the same economic well, class or background or family environment, my God, you know, just not, no two people do that the same way. So I remember Tijana, I think this is, she was joking, saying, even discussing the purchasing of a pack of gum would throw you guys, or throw her (laughs) into a tizzy, you know? So so how did you get from that (gasps) to, you know, having money dates, to being able to buy a home together in the Bay Area?
2: Uh Totally, that's so great. Well, you know, um, it's so interesting. So, when I, uh, when Tijana and I started dating, I had, uh, I can't remember if I had already, um, yes, I had already done conscious bookkeeping. And I knew that if we were going to make it, <laughs> we needed to have some common language um, around money, how we think about money, how we talk about money. Uh, I mean, we didn't have to have the same ways of being, but we needed something to translate between the two of us. And so I, it took me a little while, but I was like, we've got to do the art of money together.
1: <laughs> and was she just like, oh, she sure, her. Honey. That oh, great. No.
2: <laughs> She was like, that sounds like some crazy talk. No, I don't want to do that. And it's expensive because, you know, yeah. Yeah. she, right. So we had, I had to work on this, but I was like, no, if we don't if we don't do something that puts us in the same universe around money, we will not be able to get through this. And um the great thing about her is that when she even though she resisted and resisted and resisted, once she says yes, she's going to do it. Then she's going to do it like even if she thinks it's crazy. So, you know, she was like religiously, you know, listening to the calls and doing the homework and all of that stuff. So it it really helped us um, just start to have a different conversation where we could kind of introduce the idea that each of our styles and approaches were fine. There was no blame. There was no shame. It was like, and let's figure out how we do this together and we translate between us as opposed to like, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. Yeah.
1: What <laughs> right. the hell are you spending your money on? Me... Right. That is
2: crazy fans. Yeah. Yeah, so that helps and then um, you know, the the money date idea, which we're not always totally we we still don't have it down that we do it every week or even every month, right? We still have a little bit of resistance around it. But um the having that structure when we do sit down has been helpful just to bring that level of intentionality. I mean, we literally will say, we'll start at this time, we end at this time. We always have an agenda. We do um, we do the body check-in at the beginning, but we also do um, this um, exercise that we learned from this woman, Evelina Rose, where we sort of uh, put our in- intentions into the space between us and take out what we're not wanting. Um, so, you know, we do a whole little kind of ritual thing, and it's it's, it's really changed the um, tenor of our conversations. Hmm.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, one of the interviews I do is with a woman named Teresa Reed. Uh, She's known as Mm -hmm. the Tarot Tarot Lady, yeah. And she said her and her husband, it was 10 years um, where they were on completely separate pages. They're on year 26 of their marriage. And so 10 Hmm. years of, like, just being completely different, not on the same page, um so different you know and then another decade where they started talking through things and now in the last six years they're finally on the same team making really good decisions together you know Mm -hmm. it sounds like with tijana because you had a divorce and there were a lot of money there were a lot of money challenges after i don't know if there were during you know i can only assume or imagine that there were Mm -hmm. did you go into this relationship as you, you kind of said, like, I, I had, you had done conscious bookkeeping. You wanted to get to this sooner, sooner.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my yeah. ex and I, it was really hard to talk about money. Um, so, and, you know, I, I didn't understand the depth. I mean, I understood it was a problem when we were married, but I didn't understand the depth of the problem until we got divorced. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's not do that again. Let's
1: it's not do that again. Not. And so, was this in the first few months of your relationship, in the first year? No, first it few took years? a
2: while. Okay. It took a it took a few years because we had to. I mean, we didn't really the the ways that our differences around money um, were manifesting didn't really like come up in a big way until we'd been together at least I think two years. Okay. So um, it took a while, but then once it showed up, it was like, oh, oh, this is. Mm.
1: <laughs> and did she polarize? Did she polarize your anxiety, kind of hypervigilance, and do the opposite, or did she just have a different her own version?
2: Oh no, she has her own version of um, hypervigilance. I mean, it's interesting because we both grew up very poor and um and so and we both had you know deep experiences of you know again like severe lack like sometimes not enough food and you know all these things but her um her strategy is that she just is a deep 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 conserver of resources you know like mm. if she had to you know when she gets anxious about money she goes down to eating like rice and sardines <laughs> <laughs> like you know, okay. he's just like, I will not. Whereas I am like, I will never starve again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So fun, yeah. By, yeah, so uh, you can imagine. sort sort of the, um, has food become even more of a priority?
1: <laughs> has food become a place where you do spend more money, and you're fine with that?
2: Yeah, like I, I actually, um, and and she's she's coming along with me. I really care. I love to cook. It's like a, a big way that I show love. I care a lot about the quality of food that I eat. Um, I am not uh yeah, I'm just I that that thing I'm not trying to eat whatever. <laughs> you know,
1: nope.
2: so yeah. I I really prioritize food. You know, we have a big garden now, mm. you know, I have I belong to a couple of CSAs, a meat CSA, and a, you know, um, you know what I mean? Like, I just really, that's important to me. And, you know, it's just, it's something that she's been growing into with me, but it's she okay. just has a very different orientation towards food. Okay.
1: so She's actually uh, a
2: little bit more comfortable when the refrigerator's empty. <laughs> mm,
1: okay. And that's where, you know, we all, again, you came from similar but different backgrounds where there was lack around food and she, in moments when she's afraid or, in our family, we, in a cash flow dip, we would call it maximum lockdown. And that sounds awful, awful but mm-hmm. it, it would be this fun little thing. My husband would say, okay, time for maximum lockdown, you know. And it sounds like that's when Tijana would go into the sardines and crackers, you know. Right, and, right. And you and you wouldn't, <laughs> you know. You would, you would do it in different ways, right. You would right. do in different ways. Does she have any place where she um, splurges, or is it really she? Yes, she she, she does. <laughs>
2: she, I mean, she she's a musician and she um, loves 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 music. Okay. Um, so this is like another one of those values places. I mean, I love music too, but you know, she will be eating, <laughs> eating sardines and rice. But when Madonna came to town, she did buy some of those seven, mm-hmm. whatever three hundred and fifty dollars tickets. You know, it's like. Music she will absolutely invest in, but yeah. And then yeah, I'm Berkeley? like, I love music. I love music, <laughs> but the likelihood that I will ever spend that kind of money on a concert ticket is fairly, very, fairly low. Got it.
1: So, Got it. yeah. Very different, right there. Very different. And very how, different. in these moments, you know, at, you know. Our first thought is always we're horrified. We're, we're you know, we're. It's so different. You so did what? You did what? You know, and we—that's our first, you know, reaction. And then how do we calm down to learn and to understand why this is so important and why this is such a big value? You know, for the other right. person, and how different. You know, it's right. So, so right. sardines and rice. I was saying crackers, but sardines and rice. And you, you know, you would never do that, but she would, she, it's Madonna, Madonna tickets. And for you, it's food, really good Mm -hmm. quality food, yeah?
2: Right. Food and And health. Mm -hmm. Food and
1: health. And then where's one Mm -hmm. place where you do need, when you do need to reduce, when there is a cash flow dip, where are you more willing?
2: Well, I'm definitely willing around things like, um, like eating out. That's a Mm -hmm. huge You know, Mm -hmm. that one can just kind of go – I prefer my own food anyway. And, um, you know, we we can align around certain things, household things, like reducing our heating bill or um, just things that are like um, kind of practical day-to-day life things we actually do pretty well around. It's really only when we get into – Things that are actually less less common um not everyday things, big money decisions that we sort of can get stuck,
1: so how did you buy a home together let let's, let's
2: yeah,
1: yeah, let's go there and yeah and
2: how
1: how did you buy a home together um because you know that's one of the hardest things for all of us, how do we make yes. a good money decision in small medium? in large purchases. This is one of the largest, if not the largest, you know, for many of us. So can you just share a little story about how that went?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I I don't know how we did it. It was really hard. (laughs) It was (laughs) the whole thing, every part. It was was such a large purchase, um, and there was so much anxiety about it, and we had such different um, needs and things that we were prioritizing in it. But we found a house fairly early in the process, and somehow um, it was the price point was right. We didn't have to go out of our budget. um, And uh, once we found the house, it was, and it was such a good deal, it was like, okay, it was a yes, and then we were in it. But the thing that was hardest was that the house needed some work, and so we had to do a, a, a pretty significant amount of work on the house before we were ready to move into it. So we bought the house in June, and we didn't move in until November. So that was when it got hard. you know. I mean, there was the initial, ah, we're about to agree to this mortgage. This is crazy. But, you know, that was okay. But when we started – actually having to spend the money kind of in that more kind of frequent large outlay way um on all of the things that needed to be fixed then we were really deep in um the depths of our coping strategies mm-hmm. <laughs> around money and and navigating what we what we each tend to do under duress it took a lot i mean i'm really glad that we had a good couples therapist and uh you know, some practices that we, you know, we returned to. We did more money dates during that time. Okay. We, um, we I mean, we wrestled in some really big ways. There were also some places where Tijana just, um, even though it was really stressful for her, she did sort of back off or, or just kind of like trust me to do, so, to get some things done, and that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um because it was, you know, for her, it's just, it's really hard to spend money. Even if she's decided she's going to spend the money, it's just, it's very hard to to actually do it. And some of these things we really just had to do. You know, there was like mold or there was asbestos that had to be removed. It had to happen. So in some of those places, she just let me Great. plan it and get it done.
1: So I'm hearing um, the tools, you know, the body check-ins, mm-hmm. more money dates.
2: Mm-hmm. going to your
1: couple's therapist um, mm-hmm. in the house buying process, because it's a few months, you know, it's quite a few months for the whole thing. Right. You know, to right. happen, you you um, you make an offer, it takes time to be accepted, then you have to go through all these hoops and not, you know, for, then right. you, you, first, you also have to sit in the mortgage office and they have to ask for your credit scores and have your tax returns and find out how much money you have in savings and, Everything you get, it's it. I felt naked. You know, I felt like okay, right. <laughs> let's strip right. off another layer here. What else? I'm right. In anything else? You know. But yeah. I also felt, you know, it was like okay, you know, I know all of this, but still. Um. So there's months. So and, and yeah, and go to good therapy. I love that. So everyone.
2: Like, oh yeah.
1: Go to good therapy when you're, you know, gonna make a big purchase. Um. Together. Right. Yeah.
2: Right, and, you know, and then the six months of not being able to live in the house and having to manage um, okay. a construction process, like, you know, mm-hmm. talk about remodels, undoing mm. undoing you, that was, yeah, that was... A lot of couples
1: don't make it through that time, you know, I know. I thought, oh, <laughs> so...
2: The oh, fact God. that you two
1: did, and also I'm hearing that she, you know, both of your patterns were coming up, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in the money dates and in the therapy and all that, you were watching what you were doing and catching it. Right. And in moments, she let you take over, um, mm-hmm. which may have been a really different reaction or response uh, to mm-hmm. these moments. So she, she was, she did things differently. I imagine you did, She totally did. She really trusted
2: me on the, you know, because I was like, I'm committed to creating a a home that feels uh, nourishing and that is beautiful and that feels really, really good. I don't want to live um, in a space that has us feel like we're back in scarcity. And um, she really took a leap with me around that because, you know, it was not her way. I mean, she had never really even let herself decorate. I mean, I don't even think she had painted a room before. You know, she just, like, lives very simply and very conservatively. And I was like, no, let's have color and let's have some plushness and softness and beauty in our space. Let's be held by it. Um, And we did. I mean, we really created a, a beautiful space together.
1: And how does it feel now?
2: It's wonderful, you know. I mean, it's um, you know, it's still a work in progress, but it is. Mm-hmm. I am so glad that we really um, let ourselves make it um, what we wanted. It's just, it's so delightful to come home every day.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautiful.
2: And I feel. I mean, I feel held by the space, which is a real gift.
1: Wonderful.
2: So one last
1: question. I know I, we could spend probably a lot of time on this and um, in the flow of the interview today, just coming up last. But, you know, I started asking this last year and it started coming up um, in Art of Money. It started coming up in my private sessions where I started ask to ask people what is their lineage and mm-hmm. how and how do they identify as far as their ethnicity And Mm -hmm. to speak to that and to share a little bit, if you know, how do you feel your lineage, ethnicity has impacted your relationship to money?
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know,
1: I'll just just preface it really quickly by saying, you know, I always like to share just a tiny bit myself so I'm not just like, tell me this about you, you Mm -hmm, know, and, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, just to share that um i am jewish on all sides and that all grandparents on all sides all escaped um mm. russia it's not russia anymore it's ukraine or belarus or lithuania or all, but everyone escaped yeah. in the early 1900s and then had to start over again and wow. um you know we we had to leave because we were jewish and that has certainly affected my relationship to money positively and negatively that I've been exploring for years and will continue to. So I don't expect you to have like a full complete answer, but if you mm. have any, anything that you'd like to share about that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I identify as African American um, and black um, and I, you know, h- how does that affect my relationship with money? Um I mean, the mostly what I think about, and it's hard for me to separate out what is class and what is race and culture, you know, because all of those things are so intimately entwined for me. Um, but it, uh, I feel like the the thing that stands out for me is this quality of um, resilience, you know, like, and I'm on a uh, so I, I think I mentioned earlier I'm on the board of directors of a small nonprofit, and um, I'm on the board with um, – we're a very small board and a number of um, – uh, I think there are three um, white Jewish women, and then there are two African-American women, including myself, on the board. And um, we've been having this joke because we're we're in this fundraising process for the organization, and uh, – one of the uh, women on the board, w- the white women on the board is sort of like, she's just like totally freaked out, and she's like, "It's she's never not had money. <laughs> so this idea that we, you know, really need to raise money because there's maybe not enough money to pay the bills for this organization is totally freaking her out. And I'm like, you know, yeah, I know what it's like to not have money you know, I'm not going to fall out because I'm looking at this bank balance and going, okay, we got to raise $100,000. I'm like, we got to raise $100,000, and I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Like, you know, I don't have time to fall out about it. So, again, I don't know what part of that, you know, fits into what bucket, but it does feel like a part of my lineage. It's just like you just do what you have to do and um, not waste time kind of – you know, fretting about it or feeling victimized by it or whatever, just get to work. Mm-hmm. So, and some of that um, is sometimes got some inspiration in it, like, yeah, I'm really excited about what we're building here. And then some of it's just kind of like get your hands in the dirt, you know, nitty-gritty, all right, I don't really care how I feel about it. I'm just, we got some work to do. Let's do it. it.
1: Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So resilience, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: deep down mm-hmm. in your lineage. Yeah. From many different parts of you, yeah. That mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. we got to raise a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, we're getting low. Okay. Yep. Um, feelings are so important. Body sensations so right. important. You know, we yeah. love them as yeah. body center therapists. All very important. Stop and pause, <laughs> um, and check in in other moments. We're going to put them to the side. Give them a cup right. of tea. And be on our way.
2: <laughs> and let's just do it, right? Do We're it. definitely not going to, like, act from panic because that's not going to help us. Mm. So
1: mm.
2: it's some. It's so, a very interesting. Yeah. Learning. So
1: actually, the tools of the somatic work,
2: mm-hmm. you just
1: said something really big and profound there, you know, um, mm-hmm. not acting from the survival, the panic, which is part mm-hmm. of us or is there. Um, right. But you've had to do work around that, yeah? Yeah. 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 Hmm.
2: I mean, I've had to do some work, and I do understand that I also have some training around it, you know, just in in my upbringing.
1: Oh, right, um, right. You know.
2: Hmm. Yeah, like sometimes you don't have enough money, and it's going to be okay. <laughs> You're actually going to be okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sonia, thank you so much for sharing some of your stories, some of your money stories with us. I know it is going to be just so helpful, insightful, inspiring for so many others. Is there any one last thing that you would want to share that if you left today, it wouldn't feel complete?
2: Hmm. Well, I I do want to say that uh I have been really excited we talk, I just talked about my um, money journey with Tijana and, you know, talked a little bit about the, you know, learning how to talk to my clients about money. But I have to say I love working with couples around this money stuff. <laughs> I've learned so much in my own journey, and I'm starting to just feel like on fire to get all of my couples talking about money, you know, like it's just such a breakthrough when you start to develop a sense of financial intimacy in your partnership, and it, there's so much that's possible. So I, I just want to name that, particularly for couples who are listening and are like, I don't know if we're ever going to get there, it's so worth it to, to take that on, and um, I feel really passionate about it, and I'm starting to do more work around it, so
1: I love it. I love it. I mean, I always say when couples do the work together, they're moving mountains. Um, They're literally moving mountains. And you have been on such a journey in yourself with Tijana, you know, and I love that you're starting to love this in your own practice. And I always need more people that I can refer to who are willing to do the money work, you know, especially in couples therapy.
0: Thank you for joining me with this Money Memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul-deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the Art of Money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.